The Old Testament reading for this Holy Cross Day, the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, is from Numbers chapter 21, beginning verse 4. The bronze snake. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Can you see it? Come toward this. There we go. 
I could walk to get you, but as long as you see this, you know what's going on, right? If you see, oh, what is this? Shepherd's cane, crook. You know that it has to do with the shepherd, right? So if you're a sheep, you'll come to the shepherd's crook that you know. Now, in the Old Testament story, they were supposed to look at something else. We're told the people of Israel were grumbling at God. They were complaining. They didn't like the food. They didn't like anything where they were at. Then they admitted that they had food, but it was miserable. Have you ever had miserable food? Like broccoli? Or fatty steak? Liver? Well, they were complaining. They kept complaining, and God got upset. So, God did something. This is a big rattlesnake. If a big rattlesnake would actually come up and bite you, what could happen? You could die. Yeah, you have to get to the hospital. We don't know what kind of snakes these were, but they were getting bit. Lots of people of Israel got bit by these snakes with poison. And many did die. But still, most of them just got really afraid because these snakes were all over the place. Why, they'd sneak in under your tent. They'd get you when you were trying to eat. They were all over the place. And snakes don't make rattlesnake sounds in the Old Testament. Yeah, don't get too close to snakes. In Michigan, we have misogas, which are slow rattlesnakes. Anyway, they realized that something was wrong. That's what happens sometimes. God will let you get sick or something serious happen, and then you think that you need God, and that's a good thing. So they said to Moses, please pray to the Lord for us to take the snakes away. Now, if you're listening very carefully... Did God take away the snakes? I thought I heard something. How many of you think he took the snakes away? How many of you think he took the snakes away? Oh, they're smart. God never took the snakes away. Snakes are a good picture of trouble and pain and death and everything else that can happen to us. God still allows snakes to come up and bite you. It can be sickness, it can be trouble, it can be all sorts of things. You're so young, you probably haven't had many bad things happen yet. Let's see, I wonder any of those people out there ever had any bad things happen yet? Oh, come on, I know more of you I have trouble than that. There's still snakes. And when you're sick or have something happen, like cancer, which is what I had, you think very deeply about God. So that's a good thing. But to save them from the snakes, which were still there, 
Moses was told to make a bronze snake and to put it up on a pole. Isn't that silly? Who would want to look at a snake on a pole? That's disgusting. Yeah. But there's a promise. God said whoever would look at that snake on the pole would live. Guess who lived? Everybody who believed that promise and looked at the snake on the pole lived. So Martin Luther says, do you see how in this story everyone is saved by faith? And now in the gospel reading it says, so God so loved the world. And it means he loved the world in this way. It isn't a snake put up on a pole. It's Jesus himself who's put up on a pole of the cross. And everyone who looks to him also has salvation. It all depends on your faith in trusting God's promise. So you can go back again now. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, our text is actually from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul is writing to the Corinthians That church, it was full of very highly intelligent and educated people. In fact, many of them thought that salvation had to do with great learning, philosophy, understanding the world as it was, that somehow they could grope and find God somehow. Paul is saying it doesn't work that way at all, not in the least. In the early church, the cross was used not only in church, but it was also thought of as a battle insignia. In the Civil War, every single unit had the regimental colors, and they also had the regimental flag telling what unit they were from. Now, the guys that carried the flag had no weapons. The importance of the regimental flag, even more than the American flag, was that in the middle of a battle, when there's utter uproar, when the smoke is so thick you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys, when you have hand-to-hand fighting and everything is completely confused, you would look for the regimental standard. I'm going to put the American flag away because this was always pulled off to a safe place in most cases. It is the regimental flag. If you were the one having the honor of carrying it, you were also the one who was going to be shot at first. Because this was a rallying point. This is how you knew where the good guys were supposed to be and how you would be reorganized for the next part of the battle. They would wave the regimental flag to tell exactly where the center of their line was. This flag got full of holes, shot up. Sometimes the pole was knocked in half. Many times... The fellow that carried this flag was shot dead. Sharpshooters would go after him. 
the cross in the early church became, in effect, the regimental flag. In Roman times, the great Roman army didn't have flags, but they had Roman standards. They were all pagan. They had pagan insignias on it, different letters and codes, and these were held high also in battle for the same purpose. This was a rallying point for evil as far as the early church was concerned. But when God, by his working, got Constantine to be the first Christian emperor, the standards changed. Instead of pagan symbols, they had Christian symbols. The Cairo, which looks like PX, earliest symbol for Christ, was found on most of them. But the other symbol was simply a cross. This is how they would go into battle against their enemies. And this became part of the Christian church. How did this church service begin today? What was the first hymn about? Lift high the cross. That's what the standard bearer would do. And then the invitation, as the acolyte brought it down, was to follow. That's the imagery that Paul is looking to. You're to look to the cross. On Paul's day, there were other possibilities, at least among most people. But none of them could save Look what Paul talks about. He first mentions the wisdom of the wise, the Sophia. That's a term of philosophic understanding. And the intelligent means the ones that can figure out real hard puzzles and mind games. But none of this would point to salvation. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher? None of that can point you to salvation. I've got lots of books in my office that talk about different methods by which philosophers have tried to understand, to grasp, and to find God in such a way as to save themselves. It never works. It's always an arrogant activity, and it never points to the Savior. Philosophy always points back to yourself as though if you're smart enough, you can figure out the way for salvation. This is a taunt. Paul says, so where is the wise man? The intended answer, he is nowhere. How about the scholar who's reading ancient books, who does great research, who understands things? This is a term that's often used among the Jews. The copyists that would make copies of the Scriptures were experts in the Old Testament, yet they did not understand what the Old Testament was about. They would copy even prophecies about the Messiah and not understand them. Where is this great scholar who has yet to find the Christ? He can't point you to salvation either. In fact, Paul says that all of this stuff is nothing but foolishness. The word means someone 
who is a downright moron, an idiot, a knucklehead. In all the ways that man tries to find God and figure out salvation, none of it works. It's all just plain stupid and gets you nowhere. He even says, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its wisdom. In fact, it can't. All other attempts at finding salvation point a person back to himself, either to his works or to his great understanding. But that saves no one. Instead, you've got this foolishness. Again, it's the same word. In the ancient world, to point to a cross was just plain moronic. After all, this is where criminals were hauled up and nailed on trees and left there to languish and die. It was a disgusting thing, so disgusting that the term staurus, cross, very seldom was used, especially by people that were civilized. Instead, they would use nice words like the tree or the wood. Civilized people in good breeding would never say cross, staurus. It was disgusting. Yet Paul says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What is it about a cross? It goes back to that Old Testament reading. Just as Moses put the serpent on the cross, so was the Son of Man lifted up, that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. The snake is a symbol of sin the epitome of darkness and sin. And when Jesus is put on the cross, he is sin. St. Paul Elter would say of Jesus, he became sin for us, sin in our place. That's why this snake is a good picture of how God the Father actually saw his son when his son is dying on the cross. He is the fullness of sin and the fullness of God's wrath and punishment falls not on us but on his Son. For God, that way, in that manner. The word so doesn't mean so much. For God, in this manner, loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The cross is where we find salvation. By comparison, if you look at a military standard used by the Mohammedans of ages past, what was found on the top of the poles? The crescent moon and sometimes a star. Is there anything about that that points you to salvation? It's been noted by scholars that in fact the Mohammedan notion of God is nothing more than the ancient, disgusting moon god of that part of the world, who is understood as very powerful, yet very bloodthirsty. If you look at the insignia of Islam, there's nothing in it that points you to salvation. What about Judaism? What about the Star of David? Does that point you anywhere? If it points to David, there's no salvation there. 
And if it points you to Mogan David, that's just cheap wine. That gets you nowhere either. But every time a Christian sees the cross, that's pointing directly to the heart of salvation. Because only in Christ crucified is there salvation. That's where the payment for sin was made. By the Son of Man lifted on high, the epitome of sin, and he pays for it in his own body and life. The cross itself always points to this singular central truth of Christianity. It's pointing to Christ on the cross. This still doesn't work for so many. Even some Christians get sidetracked. Paul says the Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we continue to be proclaiming Christ who is crucified. Miraculous signs. If some Christian group comes by and says, we have healings. We can bring you a good back out of a bad one. We can fix your bad toes. We can fix your hearing. People flock to those places. But do they ever hear of Christ crucified as the one who saves them, who paid for their sin forever? The Greeks are around us in terms of education. The biggest expenditure of money in this country comes in education. But God has been completely pushed out of any and all education from preschool all the way up through college and graduate school. I hear more and more chilling stories about what professors do to students if they dare talk about their faith. Christianity is attacked, made fun of, ridiculed. It has no place in the educated culture of this country. It's hard for young people to get an education and still be Christian in their way of thought and in their confession of faith. The Greeks are still around us in spades, and they're looking for worldly wisdom. But in spite of all that, Paul says we continue to preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and sheer foolishness to the Gentiles. But he talks of God's calling or invitation. The whole point of the cross is that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, made the payment as the perfect Lamb of God. That gospel is what calls you. Paul in 2 Thessalonians says of the Holy Spirit, He called you by our gospel. It's the good news of what happened on the cross that has the power to grab and hold human hearts and minds and bring them to faith in Christ Jesus, even though the world thinks it's ridiculous and useless. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power, the dynamis, that means the ability to change anything, the power of God and also the wisdom of God. In other words, salvation. Never be ashamed of the cross, as we heard in one of the earlier ancient readings. Far be it from me to boast 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, through which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. That's referring to taking up your cross. You believe in Christ crucified for you, and so you take up your cross. You become a standard to all those around you, whether it's parents to their children or grandparents to grandchildren or to someone who's just seen as a loving, kindly, helpful person in your neighborhood. You are to be ones who lift high the cross, never to be ashamed of it, because only there do you find it pointing to the Savior. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.